you can have the opportunity to really specifically highlight, I really like that we're doing this. Can we do more of that? Or like the last time we had sex, this was really nice. Like, and I just wanted to say thumbs up to you today. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> it sounded like you were asking the listeners. No, not asking the listeners. They can't respond, silly. Silly. If you're listening now, though, you can always send us a message and let us know how Just you do. Just shout out loud wherever you are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah maybe we'll hear you. But we could discover that we live next door to a listener and could didn't realize it. Could you imagine how funny I would die? That'd be funny. Um, hysterical. Anyway. I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. As if we haven't spoken today already. I feel like we haven't. Mm. You've been at work. I have I've been. been. I've been wandering London. As usual. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, funny. I'm Devo because today we don't have any parish notices, but I just wanted to say parish notices for the third week running. So (laughs) I just wanted to say we don't have any parish notices. Well, we don't, but we do... We we do have one. We have a really good episode because we've got some awesome guests in the form of one of probably the biggest uh, non-monogamy podcast mm-hmm. out there mm-hmm. multi-amory yes amazing can't wait to uh talk with those guys but before that we've also had a little bit of uh customer feedback no customer, customer feedback. <laughs> listener we've had we've had a listener email in um well we've had many listeners i mean oh yeah in, but this one is particularly um you know one that we wanted to talk about because they had a question and um it's Super a good one provoking and it's sort of thought provoking because we kind of touched on this on our episode um our casual well basically whenever we've talked about casual last month i think was in, yeah. yeah 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 uh it wasn't in the what it is even casual episode it was like a while ago but we talk about a lot of stuff, just a lot of hot air in this room, really. Yeah. Um, but I will say that, you know, we get a lot of emails and messages and things and we read them all and endeavor to respond to them all. Uh, just that sometimes it takes us a little bit of time. So, yes, we both uh, this isn't what we do for a living. Uh, so we do have other jobs. And we do have other things going on, uh, so bear with us if uh, if you have, um, you know, contacted us, whether it be by email or Instagram, whatever. Uh, we really do appreciate the the messaging. Yeah, we love and them. We, yeah, we'll we'll do our best to get back to you asap. And if we don't, then just send us like a, an annoying gif. <laughs> Basically, we haven't forgotten about you. Yeah. Um, Stop being so needy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, this this email. The email, yes. So they, they I, I'm not going to name the person, but um, just in case, but um, they asked us a question. Once again, the context of this is uh, kind of in relation to our conversations about casual relationships within non-monogamy and how we do things and and, and what you know whatever the difference is. Um, you're just going to read part of the email. Yeah, I'm just going to go yeah. ahead and read part of the email because uh, the, the person that emailed says us it very well. says it better than I can. Yes. So, do you have an end goal, in air quotes, for your dates slash relationships outside of one another? This person goes on 
to state that they've been shut down on a few occasions by people who want more possibilities for development, marriage, kids, etc. Uh, within a relationship. So I thought it might be interesting to consider what the possibilities are in polyamorous dating, considering we're limited to one marriage at a time, and there generally are constraints to how many people can si simultaneously live together. You kind of touched on this when we've been talking about casual. Uh, this is one kind, this is maybe kind of the other side of it. Mm. so yes uh, thank you to that person that sent that question in it's do you want to start with your thoughts on this I mean there's so much in that question and so many really interesting and valid points and I think just I can we could drill down in this, to the specifics in a second but I think what I'm hearing when I hear that question and what stood out to me was that there are so many social limitations to what we can do within relationships and within romantic relationships. So that person touches on one marriage at a time. That person touches on how many people can live in a household. And I understand that there are also sometimes practical limitations to mm -hmm. that as well. But I think socially there's sort of an accepted amount of who lives with who if you're a married couple or if you're an established couple or whatever. It's very much like if you're a couple that's moving in together, it's assume that it's just the two of you as in two people a two-person mm. relationship mm. and i also think that that person mentioned that they had been sort of had a bit of resistance from people wanting more options in terms of their relationships and those options are again within what we've been culturally and socially conditioned to think is the only option so i know that's like not necessarily helpful in terms of what we do and what I how I would you know navigate that but I just think from hearing you read that overwhelmingly it's clear to me that like this is something that this person but also all of us who are non-monogamous in some respect have experienced where it's very much the way that society and the people have relationships within the structures that we exist within it can be really limiting to people mm -hmm. yeah um, so, I mean, that kind of goes into the, the stru structural aspects to things a little bit, a little bit more. But um, in terms of, I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like what we do isn't really particularly relevant. I think you and I are quite open to whatever, whatever happens, happens sort of thing with, mm -hmm. you know, within, within reason. I think ultimately it's different for every in every uh, scenario, it's different in every every relationship. You know, where if if you do have someone that you cohabit with, what how the other relationships outside of that cohabitation, if you if you are kind of just a two person cohabiting situation, will can develop. However, however you however the the two people feel fit, or it's some for a lot of people that they have maybe have a few more boundaries uh, that sort of prevent things from escalating further than a certain point. And as long as that's communicated and both parties or parties involved are okay with it, then fine. But for some people, they don't ha necessarily have that. And it's kind of just, let's just see where it goes. Let's mm. just roll with it. Um, and I think that's a little bit more our vibe within within certain re reasons. I think I don't think mm. we're quite as restrictive as, certainly as we used to be. Oh, absolutely. I think we just needed to kind of get comfortable and, and grow yeah. a bit. Yeah. Um, but what would your answer to the, that first question that that person asked there about do you have an end goal 
for your dates and relationships? What would your answer to that be? It's such, it's very abstract though, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not as simple as being like, what's your end goal? I think you, I think there are things, certain things that you would say are off limits. Certain things that like some people would say, right, I don't want to go beyond, I don't, I don't want us to move in together because I'm living with this person. I'm happy with that situation. And as long as that is communicated and all parties are happy about that, that's fine. Also, a lot of solo pearly people like don't yeah, want to live yeah, with other people exactly. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so I c- obviously we can only speak for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can't speak for people. That, we can't necessarily speak for people in solo poly p- positions, but you're absolutely right. Like a lot, we know some solo poly people that are definitely not cohabitation people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they like to have their own solo space yeah um and this is it like there's no one size fits all but if you're asking about us which i guess they are a little bit um mind drovers no i'm joking um (laughs) (laughs) no we at the end of the day we have nothing to do with you we we started this podcast for a reason (laughs) some people might be interested and that's totally fair because um once again we are not the authorities on this but i do think that it's less like what my end our end goals are and more what are our boundaries and i guess for me my boundaries are i i have a cohabiting partner and and that like so it will never get as far as that because i'm happy with the situation i have mm. i don't i don't i feel like that need is very much filled very well might i add thank you you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You're so welcome. Uh, I think also, and I'm not saying when I say, before I say this, like my caveat is that I don't think that this person is asking this with a monogamous mindset. I, obviously, oh, no, no, they're no. coming to us with a very open mindset. I, I believe they're part of a throuple. Okay, cool. So, yes. But what I will say is that having an end goal, a quote end goal, is I think something that really comes from just more monogamous style relationships where it's like if you think about like amy graham's um relationship escalator like it's like there's a goal you're getting to the end of something and i think that we that's it's a question that people have sort of asked me well why do you need to date if you've got a partner like what's the point of you dating that's a monogamous mindset yeah yeah it is and i think that that's something that we like I've like grown and learned to understand a little bit more and it's about having relationships exploring people exploring different facets of yourself with other people um I suppose this is my answer to this question is yeah. like it's not for me about meeting someone and falling in love I have the freedom to do that if I wanted to and who knows that may be something that happens but ultimately for me it's like exploring my queer side it's being different versions of myself and um, accessing different versions of myself with other people. Yeah, yeah. We all know that we can be different versions of our authentic self with different company. Yeah. And I really enjoy that. Also, like, I like having partners that I can do things with that I don't do with you. Like, I like to share a glass of wine or a bottle of wine with somebody. Like, and that's something I can do with my other partners, you know, or going out dancing at night. That's something I can do with my other partners. So that's just two examples of, of many things that we don't 
you know, necessarily. I mean, I can go and have like a, a peanut pad tie with one of my other partners. <laughs> you do, yeah, you, do, you definitely can't do that. Can I just say for the listener, um, Sh- uh, Siobhan was alluding to the fact that I, I'm not into dancing. I just want to just clarify that I am an amazing dancer. I just don't like doing it. I've literally never seen you dance. Yes, you have. I was dancing in the kitchen just last week to uh somebody uh no what was it uh looking for some looking for somebody to love by 1975 okay that's impossible to to not dance to. okay fair except you you weren't dancing and that just makes me question everything okay Hmm. (laughs) we need to take this offline (laughs) have a longer discussion (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah i think my end goal is is to find somebody to dance with i would i think dance with somebody uh, yes, who loves me? No. <laughs> <laughs> I would remove end in that question and just say, yeah, what's my goal? Yeah, and yeah. my goal is all the things I've just mentioned. I don't really have an end goal. But at the same time, you know, that not a lot of people, it, it's a good question. Like, I mean, have you had situations where you've met somebody and it's been a blocker where they're like, oh, I, I want to have more with you. I want to have, oh, so what? There's not a possibility of us going on holidays together or you meeting my family. Like, and that's what I think what this person's asking as well is like, so what about if you want to do all of those extra things Mm -hmm. that we might not necessarily do, but is totally something that other people do? Yeah. Well, this is where the communicate, it all comes back down to communication, Mm -hmm. making sure that the person that you're, you're seeing knows all all of these things whether or not you're going to be open to that or whether or not you will whether or not there may be um some more i guess more more conventional escalation yeah if that's what they're looking for then maybe they're not right for for well you know if you're not looking for that they're not going to be right for you are they absolutely but 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 also just i think you actually you touched on something that I, I can't believe I didn't when I actually thought about the answer to this question, which is... I mean, obviously I am. <laughs> which is, uh, you complete me. No, I'm joking. Um, Christ. <laughs> Tom Cruise, step away. <laughs> uh, that is terrible. Anyway, um, which is the just the, the growth aspect to, a, you know, a lot of non-monogamous relationships. It's It's about experiencing things differently with a different person and maybe learning more about yourself from that and whilst also helping others learn about themselves along the way it's all about reciprocation you know it needs to be is everyone getting fulfilled and filled or or filling depending on the situation but um but you get where i'm coming from jokes aside so that's the end goal really yeah is is do do you stand to grow and have a fulfilling experience and provide a fulfilling experience in whatever it is that you're doing whether that's moving in with someone or going away on a holiday with someone or just coasting along and just kind of hanging out and i don't know having sex or or not having sex equally as important in some cases. Mm-hmm. So like that's the end goal. 
I, I guess it's just it's, for me, end goal or goal maybe is a little bit too binary thinking for me. Yeah, fair. Because it's a, it, the goal. The goal could be a spectrum of things that aren't are quite abstract, and uh, that's what I meant when I said it's quite abstract. Because mm-hmm. it's like, well, you Absolutely. know, you know it. You know, you're meeting your goals when you feel it. Sometimes goals are a feeling rather than a absolutely quantifiable or a quali- qualifiable thing. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think I'll just add one more thing to that um, before we go to the interview. Is that in my experience, often the people that I have had relationships with are the ones who are doing similar stuff to me. And that's not a hard and fast rule, obviously, but I have found that people who had a similar relationship structure maybe had like a cohabitating partner like we are and yeah, like weren't yeah. and then were looking for similar things like to me, it was working well because they had a similar situation outside of me. And obviously that's like not for everybody and, and that's not a hard and fast rule, but I find that if – you know, with any relationship, you meet someone that's kind of on the same wavelength as you, that has the same goals as you, is in a similar fight, like place in their life. It's it might be easier those sort of circumstantial factors that are a little bit harder. Yeah, I also think it can be comforting, especially early on, as well. Mm. In, in addition to it, kind of maybe making it easier to connect with someone. I also think that if you're just sort of starting out, then then uh, maybe you know, linking up with someone who also has a quote-unquote nesting partner, primary partner, whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. Um, that may be beneficial to, yeah, to, to people sort of 100%. early on. And I just think with non-monogamy, people think because you've already got a partner usually or partners and then you're out dating that for some reason you're not looking for meaningful connections or it doesn't really matter because you know you've only got a partner and i i think that with any relationship style dating and finding someone that you have a connection with that's easy that um and when i say easy i don't mean relationships should be easy i just mean like there's not a lot of having to manipulate it to make it fit. Like it just works really well. It's enjoyable. It's not too complicated. I think that's hard to find and adding an additional sort of relationship structure style, like anything under the umbrella of non-monogamy, that can be another additional challenge that non-monogamous people face. And Mm -hmm. it just, for me, when you do find someone you connect with on all of those elements it makes it all the more special. So it might not be easy to find, but when you do, um, I think it'll be great, you know? <laughs> I think it'll be great. Yeah. It'll be great. It'll be great. It'll, it'll be great. Yeah. That's what I was trying to do. Well, do you know what else is going to be great? Our guests. Yes. Today. From multi-amory. Yes. Guests, plural. There's three of them. There's three of them. There's going to be five voices, guys. Yeah. Uh, but we all have... sound quite different, so... It's it's good. Yeah, like it's, it's not um, like it's going to be confusing. I don't think. Yeah, well, you you would definitely stand out, and but we no, you're right. We all you're sound right. different. We all sound completely different. So it's just a big old cacophony of <laughs> yeah. No, it's not cacophony because that, that's not a very nice sound. It's um, it's a symphony, really. Uh, 
lovely. Of different voices. Yes. Um, yeah, I love chatting to yeah. these guys. It's just such a helpful, smart episode. They've got a book as well that you can read and listen well, to we're, their... We're going to talk all about that, so don't yeah. don't steal from the interview directly. Okay. Well, <laughs> Let's just get to it, shall we? <laughs> so we're so excited to welcome today's guest to the Poly Podcast. They are the trio behind the Multi-Amory Podcast, which has a catalogue of hundreds and hundreds of episodes and their book, Multi-Amory, Essential Tools for Modern Relationships, was released this year. Between them, our guests have a range of qualifications and specialties, including jealousy management, relationship coaching, and healthy masculinity education. Uh, they're acronym lovers. Uh, they're self-professed <laughs> relationship nerds. Welcome to the show, Emily, Dedica, and Jace of Multi-Amory. Hello. Hi, thank, thank you for having us. I actually said to Rich before we started uh, this episode, I said, I wonder whether they refer to themselves as Jed, like, because they love, a, love an acronym. That's sometimes funny. We do. We do. Yes. yes. Sometimes yeah. that does come up in various yeah. ways where it's J-E-D, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I did fl- like have a couple in my head, but I thought Jed makes more sense, makes most sense well, to me. Well, the other one was but, Dej. Which is harder to or, say. Or ed- yeah. edged. <laughs> Or just doesn't sound as good. But as we mentioned in the short intro, there, you know, you guys are the hosts of a really well-known, very popular podcast. You've got a book of the same name, Multi Amory, that has come out this year. How did this all start? We'd love like a very sort of brief background about how you came to be Multi Amory um, and how it became the show and the book that we all know and love. Gosh, the full origin story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to to talk about it very briefly. I mean, Jason and I were in a monogamous relationship for a couple years, and we, you know, broke up for a short period of time. And once we kind of reconciled and came back together, uh, we decided uh, something is missing a bit. We're we want to see what else is out there. I was very young at the time, and I was like, I'm interested in dating other people. He was interested in dating other people. So we decided to open our relationship uh, through that a, a year. Well, I guess like six months later, we met Dedeker and her partner over OkCupid. Okay um, many things happened and we sort of became a quad for a period of time. Quads tend to be notoriously unstable. So that relationship sort of imploded. But Jace Dedeker and I were also a triad during that time as well. And during that, we realized there wasn't a lot of information out there for people about non-monogamy. This was back in 2014. And it really just wasn't as accessible and varied as it is now by any means. And so Jace loved podcasts. He was one of, I feel like, the early adopters of podcasts back then. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, why don't we make one of these? There was only Polyamory Weekly at the time, which I don't even think is really doing anything anymore. Um, but yeah, it, it was basically us and them right at the beginning. And so, you know, through that time, our relationship has definitely changed. Jason Dedeker is still together and non-monogamous. I actually am in a monogamous relationship now with a partner that I've had for, uh, it'll be nine years this year. So wow. a very long time. And Jason Dedeker are almost at their 10-year anniversary, but they've mm-hmm. been non-monogamous the entire time. So it's great to be able to navigate 
doing the show and have these varying like relationships within mm. i guess the three of us because we come from different perspectives and i hope at least that that brings a lot to the show because not all of us are you know of the same mindset or in the same relationship structure mm -hmm. 100% how much of your own work uh, all the work that we know like you know all of the acronyms and all of the um tools <laughs> that you give and you provide for people, how much of that came from your own experiences and the, the fluidity of the relationships that you've experienced? Well, I would say they, a lot of them probably came from our own failed experiences as opposed <laughs> to, oh, we spontaneously found this tool and tried it and then it fixed all of our problems, mm. right? Now, I mean, we have cried over the years whenever we either develop a tool or if we're talking about a tool that somebody else has created, do try to at least give some lead time of us being able to practice it in our own relationships first before, uh, you know, launching it or debuting it on the show. You know, that was very much the case with Radar, our check-in formula. That's been one of our most popular episodes, most popular tools that, that um, literally like took years <laughs> to develop. Like it's not an exaggeration. It all started where we, you know, came across this article about, you know, these two software developers, monogamous software developers that decided to apply like agile scrum frameworks to their relationship. And we were like, <laughs> well, maybe this will work. And like, maybe this will work like, but would this work within a non-monogamous context, you know? And so we literally spent a year being like, we're going to try this out in our own relationships before we talked about it on the show. And then from there, it was like another year, maybe even two years of continuing to further develop it and adjust it and tweak it and tweak the formula before it was like form formally introduced as radar. So, mm -hmm. so like, that's definitely a clear example of like a lot of experience and informal research into the tool itself. But like, to be honest, as far as our episode content is concerned, a lot of it comes from wow, I ran into this issue in my relationship and I want to mm -hmm. figure out how to solve it, right? 100%. Or especially for me, it's like, wow, I have a lot of clients right now who are struggling with this. Like there's got to be a better way, mm -hmm. you know? So none of this stuff comes from a vacuum for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very familiar uh, story actually. Like I, I've heard it from so many other, uh, not just people we've spoken to, but just like in, in the intros to other books, like they talk about how with their therap therapists or um but you know they may have had patients that have been struggling with the same thing so they decide to sort of explore that idea more through their own work um but i mean we're talking today mainly uh, around like conflict right so question for whoever whoever feels most qualified i guess or maybe all <laughs> of you have different slightly different takes but um do we need do you think we need to have conflict in you know to have a healthy relationship or to grow in a relationship or, or you know is uh is there something wrong if people don't fight i guess is a is a good way of approaching it <laughs> yeah i think there's there's some layers to the answer to that question so <laughs> as far <Of> as <laughs> yeah i think one of the things is that when we talk about conflict or arguments or fights one is that those terms are all relative i guess you know that to someone fight is like we've really lost our cool lost our tempers this is bad and otherwise i just call it a discussion whereas for other people it's like oh we disagreed about something oh that was a fight we had our first fight so i guess i just want to clarify a little bit that 
if you want to get a sound bite, you're probably not going to get a very good one because it just really varies. <laughs> That's, the That's the sound bite. That's the sound bite. But that said, I'd say it's that I, I don't think that having like intense, explosive, upsetting kind of conflict is necessary for a healthy relationship at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would say if you're having that a lot, I would argue that that's actually a sign of not very healthy communication going on in the relationship. And there will be some people who disagree and say, no, that's all oh, that's we're just passionate. We just love each other so much, whatever it is. I'm like, maybe, maybe I'm not convinced. But that said, on the other extreme, you can get that thing where we never fight because we're just never actually expressing what we want or we're not like we're hiding the fact that we disagree or that we're upset by something and we're just kind of pushing that down to keep the peace. And this especially happens with people who I think I fall into this category. I know Emily identifies this way too, of being the people pleaser type personality, <laughs> that it can be easy to just sort of let your own desires and needs go to the wayside in an effort to avoid conflict. And the irony there is that in doing that, yes, you might have less conflict, but ultimately you're robbing your partner of the ability to, to give you the kind of relationship that you want mm -hmm. and to show love to you in a way that is meaningful to you because you're just not telling them. It's like if you fake your orgasms all the time, your partner doesn't get to learn how to have good sex with you yeah. because yeah. you haven't given them that information, right? It so the same kind of thing shows up. Yeah, and it also sounds a little bit like kicking the can down the road but picking up a few of the extra cans along the way. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure, I like that, <laughs> Until yeah. eventually you're just left with a big pile of garbage. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Deal with it. yeah. It's a good image. <laughs> Yeah, Rich has literally never said that before. So much. <laughs> I love that. Brilliant. Um, and I mean, sort of on that in that vein of all, like you can have all these different types of arguments or or, or conflict. Whenever, as you mentioned, those words can be in conflict in with in and of themselves and how people define them. So, with trying to fight well, you've mentioned on your podcast a podcast a couple of times that. You, there's research that indicates that people, when they're having a conflict, what, all they want to do is feel understood. And if all we want to do is feel understood, why is it so hard if we're kind of, if research shows that we're all trying to approach conflict on the whole, obviously not everybody, but on the whole in the same, to get the same thing out of it, why is it so hard to get that understanding? I think when you're in the midst of conflict, that's the most challenging time to actually hear what it is that your partner is saying if your body is not in a place to receive it. And so often we are so physic physically charged that we simply like can't really hear anything that's outside of kind of self. At least that's been my experience of it so often. And I think that's why we also really advocate for taking the time to get physiologically at rest or at least at a place where you're like, okay, I am not going a million miles an hour in my body and in my brain, but I'm able to receive and I'm able to be calm or calmer than I once was in the midst of this conversation so that I can receive what it is that you're telling me and so that I can get to that point of understanding. I think we, we really use our repair shop framework, which is in the book, as something that's 
very, very beneficial in this way because we advocate again for halting and getting to a point where you can talk to the other person after the fight maybe is over so that you can really get granular about what it is that happened in the midst of that fight. So we talk about things like our stories of what it was that we heard, maybe their story as well, what it was that actually happened. We take ownership for what was going on within the midst of the fight. And we also want to talk about like, you know, what happened before um, in our past and our history about the things that were going on in the fight as well. What maybe occurred that triggered a memory or triggered a feeling that caused you to be really upset, for example. And then we move to prevention as well and discover like, what is it that we can collaborate on and do together so that this doesn't happen again in the future. And that stories piece, OMG. When I learned mm -hmm. that I didn't have to believe everything that I thought, it was absolutely transformational. And it's, I can't believe I was like 27 before I learned that, you know, but it's so, imp it's so important to understand where like your partner or partners are coming from, you know, and where they mm. might, you know, we, we've had that discussion a lot. And I mean, actually to one of your points, Emily, that you just said um, about sort of pausing and waiting to your physiologically um, and emotionally ready to discuss, should we, is there an argument for normalizing, uh, hey, I, you know, so your partner comes to you with something and you turn around and say to them, hey, actually, like, I'm not in the right space to talk about this. You know, a lot of couples that have long-term marriages say, oh, we have to schedule time for sex. Like, it's really important mm. that you have that connection, you schedule it. What about scheduling time for a conflict or a difficult discussion? Like, mm. what do you think about that idea? 100%. And again, the same way that people push back against the scheduling sex argument, it's it's a lot of the same pushback, right? Mm -hmm. That, oh, that's inorganic. Oh, but what if I have these feelings right now? Oh, but isn't that going to take out the magic? I mean, I guess no one's arguing you're going to take out the magic <laughs> for fights if you schedule them. Um, but yeah, it's the same thing where it's like we get to be a little bit more intentional and a little bit more in control of the conditions in order to hopefully set ourselves up for success, right? Now, this is really hard, right? Because it's like if we're out and about and my partner just said something that really rubbed me the wrong way, but it's like we're about to head into dinner with my parents and now is not the time you know, that's, that is a muscle that has to be built up to help prevent, okay, no, we're going to get into like a full on cat and dog fight in mm -hmm. the parking lot before we go into the restaurant. Right. It, it is a muscle and it's, I want to say it's hard. Like, honestly, I think it's hard for everybody and harder for some more than others. Right. Um, especially if you have a more anxious attachment style in particular, the idea of a partner being like, hold on, can we pause? And can we actually come back to this like on Friday after work or whatever that it can feel like, oh my God, I'm going to be abandoned. Oh my God, they're not going to come back around to it. Oh my God, I'm going to feel this way all the way until Friday. And I can't stand to feel this way in particular. So I, I do think the ability to pause is a muscle. And then on top of that, I think it's also learning to maybe pause and reschedule a fight when you're at a three rather than when you're at a 10. And that's also really tricky because yeah. I know myself, I way overestimate how chill I am in any given situation, <laughs> you know? So like I'll be in an argument and I'm like, 
I'm fine. I'm only at a three. We don't need a positive. Um, you know, when, when I'm not, I'm probably at like a six or seven. Yeah. Right. And so it, it's also starting to normalize that. Right. Yeah. Of maybe we need to save this for our radar, for instance, if we got a radar coming up on the weekend, mm-hmm. you know, and so we'll just pause and we'll discuss that then. Or even like, can we just pause for six hours until tonight at the end of the workday? Um, but it's not easy. It, it's, I don't think it's intuitive because, mm-hmm. you know, as Emily was talking about, when we have this physiological survival response, you know, when that takes over, it wants things right now, you know, it needs mm-hmm. to make it better right now in some form or fashion. Yeah. And like I, I, I'm thinking a lot about um, me and how I think I'm chill and I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, See you. I, I'm actually See you. I, I'm actually thinking about how uh so many on so many occasions uh we you know, I, I I'm very sort of on the surface, I appear, I can appear to be almost too chill sometimes. And that mm-hmm. actually can just put like push the wrong buttons uh on, mm. with with partners and stuff and, and and it can sort of make them actually be like why aren't you why are you being so quiet and so i'm like aren't very, you matching there yes yeah. exactly exactly and uh it, yeah and it, that can kind of actually make things even worse <laughs> sometimes but i think <laughs> sure. I, i'm doing quite a good job of like sort of remaining calm remaining chill like it it, I, it does hold feel a lot more a lot different inside but it's sort of you know what i mean like mm. I, I just like to sort of process things internally and then and then but this is where it comes to the sort of coming back later on sort of pausing I feel like my default is kind of is kind of that and has been for some time and yeah sorry well, Richard's a chewer and I'm a spewer yeah mm-hmm. exactly um, so I'm there like well, so I see you yeah and we'd love if you could actually just tell our <laughs> listeners what you, what that those two terms mean chewer and spewer yeah. um we'd yeah that'd be really helpful we'd love to hear that mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is another section of our book. And basically the idea is that people have different processing styles. And so there's external processors and internal processors. So the external processors or spewers, as we call them, that's me and Emily. Uh, <laughs> and me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So w- the way that we think through things, try to figure out our our own feelings and our own thoughts is through expressing them externally. So an example of that would be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do about this situation. Can I talk through it with you? And it's that kind of, I'm just throwing out ideas. I'm saying things and I might say something. And as I've said it go, ah, okay, you know what? That's not it. But I had to say it. I had to express it first before I could see, no, that's not actually what I think, or that's not what I believe that's part of the process of working through it. Whereas on the other side, we have the chewers or the internal processors, which are Dedeker and Rich, where you want to, and and Emily's partner. Yeah. Where instead it's that I need to kind of be with myself and think through things. And I want a lot of time to process something before I say something out loud. And part of that is that when I do say it, it means I've really evaluated this and I mean it when I say it versus the spewer where I say shit and I might not mean it because I'm trying to figure that out. Mm. That's part of the point. And you can imagine how those two extremes, and of course it's a spectrum, you could be anywhere on this, but those two extremes can cause conflict where a spewer can 
say some things and then the chewer goes, oh my God, that's really what they think. Yeah. When the chewer was just, or the spewer was just trying to figure <laughs> it out. They're just throwing some stuff out there, yeah. but it, yeah, but it landed really hard. And then that chewer is like, oh my God, that you said this thing, that, that must be what you actually want. And now you're trying to take it back. Whereas the spewer says, no, I was trying to figure it out. And clearly that wasn't what I thought. And then on the other side, you get the thing where the chewer is trying to figure something out and the spewer is like, but let me know your process. Like, are you thinking about it? Where are you in this? Give me some insights. Yeah. And the chewer is like, so no, familiar. no, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, that's the idea is by identifying that and just knowing it's a thing can actually go a long way to helping communicate better. Because then when you understand and you have a name for it, especially a cutesy, silly name like Chewers and Spewers, <laughs> kind of helps take a little bit of the seriousness out of it and say, okay, I just need to chew for a bit. I'll tell you, this is where I am right now. Like you can do like a tiny spew, but then I need to go chew. <laughs> yeah. And then similarly, <laughs> and then similarly, the spewer can realize, oh, my, my partner might be taking all this more seriously than I think they are. So I can instead clarify, hey, I haven't figured any of this out yet. Can I just spew a little bit just to just to help me work through this? But don't take it seriously. I'm just trying to figure it out. Like just being able to talk like that and meta communicate, communicate about your communication goes a long way in avoiding those things just immediately getting into fights and upset feelings. Mm. Well, uh, just a quick one for the for the listener. Um, if you're eating a meal while you're listening to this episode we apologize um, we will at the top of this episode we'll put in a, a little disclaimer. content warning uh, <laughs> so there's so much we say the word spew several thousand times um, yeah but no, um, back to <laughs> on a more serious note um as, as well as um being chewers and spewers like i am very much as as we've established a, a chewer but what i find can happen sometimes is i if, if let's say Siobhan is spewing particularly hard, um, I, I can kind of let a little bit of spew out and then I end up saying something that kind of mm. maybe inflames mm. or maybe I haven't had a chance to collect my thoughts mm. properly on it yet. So I end up saying something that isn't quite right. And, and I, kind of, I guess you kind of become a mini spewer or an intermittent spewer as well. And, and, that, and I think that's, yeah, just interesting because you said it's like a spectrum, right? And, and uh, yeah, mm. that, that's very much true of, of us, I think. <laughs> it's... um. I mean, there's so much talk of love languages, you know, since in, in the modern, the sort of lexicon, everyone's talking about love languages and how do you express love? And there's, I've done a quiz as well about like my apology language, like who doesn't love <laughs> one of those, right? Mm -hmm. But like it's in your book and, you know, we've sort of just touched on this now. There's also like these different communication languages. There's different like dynamics between partners and chewers and spewers. But then there's also many like researchers have broken them down into many millions of categories as well. And I mean, how is, why is it so important that we take the time to investigate not only our partner's styles, but also our own style? Like how, why is that so important? How can that improve our um, conflict resolution? Yeah. So I think what's been beautiful, I think the past five to 10 years or so is we've seen this explosion of people who are curious about these things, about themselves, right? Curious about how to make their relationships work, curious how to communicate better, curious about their own attachment styles, all of these things. Uh, 
you know, the dark side of that can be we can get a little fixated on some of these labels and we can get a little fixated on, oh, this is just the way I am. And so that's sort of a blanket excuse for any bad behavior, right? You know, I'm anxious attached. That's how I am. And so you're just always going to expect that I'm going to have this really clingy behavior or this really manipulative behavior or, oh, I'm avoidant attachment. So you just have to learn to expect that I'm going to be cold and detached or pull away from you. Right. And I, I think that's not really the point of this exploration and this research. I think the point of having this self-knowledge is so you know what you're bringing along with you to a relationship and you can know how this can show up as an obstacle and also how you can get around that, right? Because in any relationship, there's going to be a little bit of a meeting of the minds. There's going to be a little bit of us forging the sort of the middle path together in the relationship, you know? So, so I do think it's a little bit of a mixed bag, right? Like that self-knowledge is great and ideally it's used for good, right? As opposed to being used to justify, you know, any lack of growth or justify why I shouldn't have to change my behavior in the relationship or justify why you should be the one who's adjusting to meet me, things like that, if that makes sense. It does. And I love that you said that because we have had since opening our relationship, a lot of people Uh, particularly because Rich came to me and it's his orientation. So there was me, you know, learning about it, adapting to it, working out if it was right for me and in what form. And we had a lot of people question me, um, is Rich taking advantage of you? Is he using this relationship style as an excuse to like have his cake and eat it too, as some people might, you know, think? Um, Is is he taking advantage of you? And and that, that wasn't the case, but it is so important to be able to use this knowledge and and a relationship style or whatever it is for good rather than trying to be deceitful or manipulative so I really love that you you said that I think that's so important and jokes on everybody else for not knowing the difficulties that non-monogamous men face in (laughs) getting partners Mm. versus non-monogamous women right this is true true. that is so true right Yeah, and I also, yeah, I mean, in general, I think that people have a misconception that the non-monogamy is easier than the monogamy anyway, which, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, not not necessarily, mm-hmm. obviously, combating jealousy and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, in terms of, yeah, like, being able to have sex with whoever you want to, you know, and so on and so forth, that's kind of where their brains go first, right? So, right. Um, but we've so we've discussed um, a little bit about uh, we you know you mentioned the repair uh, system um, so we discussed how to repair from a, a conflict but um, how can we prevent them from happening at all and more importantly should we be trying to prevent mm. them from happening at all <laughs> um, mm. and I know that you have a, like once again the acronym comes up uh, you have a radar system if that's correct so maybe. That I'm sure that will come up. (laughs) I love this like idea of having an intentional check in, you know, Mm. it is so helpful because one of my big fears in relationships is, well, you know, we're going to get, we'll be together and then, well, what's going to happen and we'll get complacent and, you know, you become close with this person and there's that trope of, you know, the the husband or the wife or, you know, whoever lets themselves go. And (laughs) I just love how you can be intentional about that. Um, So yeah, we'd love you to tell us about radar and 
also tell us should we be avoiding conflict <laughs> yeah so, so as I previewed a little bit earlier it came out of this agile scrum framework which you know agile scrum is like a almost like a project management framework that came out of software and tech yeah. And uh, I promise it's it's more exciting than it sounds. <laughs> you know, everyone <laughs> tends to turn off a little bit when I say that. But the whole point was we're going to create a framework for projects that are always ongoing. It's because like in software and tech development, it's a little bit different from like, okay, we make a product and then we ship with the product and then we're done. We move on to the next one. Like it's more that many, many different processes need to happen at once and they're ongoing, much like a relationship that it's not quite great, we get together and then we're done, or we got married and then we're done. You know, we figured it out that life happens and we evolve and we change and our circumstances change. And so we need a process for being able to maintain those open channels of communication and make sure that, you know, the ship is going the direction that we want the ship to go instead of just kind of being blown about mm. by the wind and the waves. And so, you know, RADAR is an acronym that stands for review, agree the agenda, discuss action points, and reconnect. And so the idea is that in some kind of regular time frame, so we usually encourage people to do once a month. Some people may do bi-weekly. Some people may do quarterly. You know, it just kind of depends on what's right for you and your schedule. But once a month, you sit down and you go through this five-step framework where you review what happened in our lives in the last month or so, whether it's stuff that happened between us or at our jobs or with our families or the hobbies that we picked up or put down or, or things like that. And then we go through a particular agenda. So as part of developing the tool, we created a standardized list of topics that we do encourage people to go through every single topic, even if it feels like things are good. And so, you know, that includes things like money, sex, family, future plans, quality time, things like that, right? And the idea is, again, that even if things are feeling good, even if there's no problems per se, we're still able to check in on it and talk about it, right? And I think sex, the topic of sex is a really good example of this, that it can be so easy to never really talk about your sex life because you're like, well... I guess it's working, we're enjoying it. And it seems like my partner is enjoying it. And so we don't have to talk about it, right? And like, maybe that's fine for some folks, but you you rob yourself of, you know, a nice convenient opportunity to bring up things like, hey, have you thought about trying this? Can we try experimenting with this? Like an opportunity to have that conversation, not when you're springing it on your partner when they're about to orgasm necessarily, right? <laughs> Um, you know, or, and even if there isn't anything there, it's like, you can have the opportunity to really specifically highlight, I really like that we're doing this. Can we do more of that? Or like the last time we had sex, this was really nice. Like, and I just wanted to say thumbs up to you. To that. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> right. uh, Whatever it is. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and so the idea is you go through this agenda and of course you add any agenda items that are relevant to you in your relationship you discuss it. If it's relevant to create action points, you create action points. So maybe it is, we wanted to experiment with this particular type of sex toy. Okay, let's put down an action point that you're going to be the one who's going to go research it, um, you know, and then you're going to come to me and kind of present all the options and then we're going to buy it, you know, and then 
by the time we have our next radar, we look back at our action points. We're like, oh yeah, we did that thing. How do we feel about it? You know, what's our review? Or it could be, oh no, we didn't do that action point. Why was that? Like, uh, was it, we just got too busy? Was it, we kind of lost enthusiasm for the idea once it, the, you know, the reality of it hit us, you know, and like, do we need to keep this action point around or, or whatever, right? And then we close things out with the reconnect step the whole point of that being that it's a little bit of a reward for getting through what can be hard work, right? Like it can be hard to go from talking about how great our sex life to talking about how stressed we are about money in one conversation, you know? Um, and the whole point is to sort of close this loop so that we know, okay, even, you know, we've sat down, we've dedicated this intentional time to our relationship and maybe it was hard, maybe it was easy, but like it's all in service of our connection and our connection feeling good. And so this is how we're going to connect, you know, um, with either touch or it could be sex or it could be we're going to finally crack into that board game or we're going to take ourselves out to our favorite bar or whatever it is. Right. And again, to start to build up that association that the check in, the relationship talk doesn't have to be a terrifying slog. It can actually be something we look forward to. I think in talking about conflict, the problem with never having conflict or never being intentional about the relationship is that sometimes you can get really complacent about it. And instead of coming together to be intentional and speak about like, hey, these are things that I think we could be doing better. We just avoid each other and the possibility of what can be better in the relationship in order to not engage in conflict. And so that's what's so great about radar is that even if you have a tendency to do that, and I know I'm definitely somebody who does, who, who doesn't want to engage in conflict just because it's challenging for me and I don't enjoy being in that state, uh, it's nice to be able to have sort of a safe container and a safe time with your partner to be like, hey, I, I don't want to fight with you, but I want to talk about things that I think maybe we could be doing better or celebrate the things that we already are doing really well. So I think it's just such an important tool to be able to give yourself the gift of putting that amazing time together to make the relationship stronger than it even already is. And one little thing I want to add to go back to Rich, your question about should we be working toward avoiding mm -hmm. conflict at all? Yes. Is that I've found that doing radars doesn't make conflict go away, but it does make a lot of things that could have been a bigger conflict into a much easier, much more manageable thing. So an example of that is there was a time where Dedeker did something that upset me. I honestly don't remember what it was. And I was real upset about it and I wrote about it in my journaling app on my phone. So I would remember it, but I was like, I don't have to talk about it now because we have a radar coming up in a week or two weeks or however long it was. So I'm like, I'll make a note now. And then, you know, I'll tell her all this stuff when we have our radar. And so that first of all, it was easy to be like, okay, I'll have a time for it. I don't need to try to figure out when to have this conversation. And then a week or two later, when we had the radar, I pulled up my notes and looked at it and I was like, oh yeah, I do want to talk about this, but I'm not nearly as upset as I was when I wrote all this down. So it also gives you that time to process, mm. okay, yeah, I do still want to talk about this and we have a time set aside, so let's do it. But it's not this big explosive, I'm so upset about this thing that it could have been. And instead, it was more this, hey, I'd really prefer if this thing went this other way. Can we talk about ways to do that? So it's not about like removing 
the purpose of the conflict, but removing the explosiveness of it by giving it some time and knowing that there's a chance to check in about these things. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I love that. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for those uh, really insightful answers. Uh, I think, I'm fascinated. Um, I could I could just talk to you guys for yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll just jump on a call when we've had a fight. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <There we go. laughs> um, but we'd love to just to finish off this episode. Ask you a few get, uh, put a few scenarios to you and maybe get your insights on on those yeah. in what we will be calling. Conflict of the week. Yeah, we'll go. <laughs> I don't we'll really know. Oh, we haven't got an yet. Um, <laughs> but um, the idea is that this, it's a bit of a game, sort of quick fiery. We call it a medium fire because at the very it, you know, quickest. But uh, yeah, we don't want it to be. Uh, don't don't drone on for hours, guys. No, I'm joking. Um, no, they're meant to be sort of uh, a little bit snappier. Um, but yeah, so we've got a couple of scenarios. We're going to go for it just to finish off. So do you want to? Do you want to? Yes, yeah. I'd love to. So. In the first scenario, um, how do you handle two or more of your partners in conflict? So if you're, you have you are maybe the hinge or you're in a, a, tr- a triad or a, um, a quad and there's two partners that are in conflict and you have a, a relationship with both of them as well, is it your role to be involved or how, would, how do you handle that? My knee-jerk quickfire answer is uh, <laughs> take an inventory either do this on your own with journaling or talk this through with a trusted friend or talk it through with a professional like a therapist or a coach or something like that. Take an inventory of what actually belongs to you in this conflict and what actually belongs to the other people. You know, is there something you need to repair? Are there things that they need to repair either with you or with each other? I think that's my snappy answer. It's a good one. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think being the mediator is a tough place yeah. to be in the middle of two partners that are having conflict. So if they want you there as a support system, but I would say try not to like insert yourself in a way that's going to be on one side or the other. That's yeah. a really yeah. precarious position to be in. Bit of a tightrope. 100%. I mean, <laughs> sure. ultimately, like they have a relationship <laughs> with each other as well as you, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. you don't have to always be... Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, privacy right. exists in non-monogamy, as we always say. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. do you want to ask the next one? Yes. Uh, so how can you handle a conflict that you're involved in with a metamor? And how can you preserve your relationship with your shared partner? Uh, I'll, I'm going to jump in on this one. So this one really varies depending on how close that relationship with the metamor is. But mm-hmm. I would say that generally speaking... I think a common pitfall is someone saying, I have a problem with a metamor when really they're having a problem with their partner's behavior that feels related to that metamor. So an example would be my partner has canceled some dates on me because my metamor, so their other partner has gotten too upset or they made a fuss where they've been asking more of them. And so they're giving more of their time. And it's easy to go, ah, that stupid metamor, they're constantly taking my partner away from me. I hate this, I'm so mad at them, I have a conflict. When in reality, the person doing the thing that's upsetting you is your partner and not that metamor. So I would say that's the first thing is just really getting aware of that fact and realizing that, yeah, if this is actually direct conflict with my metamor, like they said something to me that that upset me or something, that's that's a thing for you two to resolve between you. But I just find that 90% of the time when people have conflicts with a metamor, 
it's really because of something their shared partner is doing. And to try to focus on what's the behavior, what's the thing that's upsetting me that my partner's doing will get you much farther and be less likely to cause your partner to be caught in this. Oh no, my two partners each want this different thing and they're both yelling at that, telling me that the other one is bad or something like that, which isn't helpful for anyone. Yeah, and I suppose that that sort of that take as well. If you're the partner with the the, the shared part of the partners that are in conflict, the meta, then they're metamors and you're sort of the hinge potentially. Again, right. if there's a lot of problems coming up, again addressing the relationship that you've got with each of those individual people about why there seems to be so much anger or frustration about the other partner, mm-hmm. sort of could work backwards that way as well, right? Yeah, and again, it, it, as much as you can, try not to take sides if you are that hinge because <laughs> that can be challenging. But I would say also try to refrain from, you know, talking bad about one to the other. And that can happen sometimes, even just to try to make the situation a little bit softer or nicer to the person who you're in front of, for instance. And so I would say, like, really be neutral and understand that they're adults. They can try to resolve the thing that's occurring between the two of them and stay out of it, I would say as much as you possibly can. I think also if you're the one who's in conflict with your metamor, or even if you just don't like them, remember that this is a situation that we are in, in human relationships, whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous, right? Like there are people attached to your partner that you don't get to choose necessarily. Maybe you find their best friend from college obnoxious. Maybe you get you know their mother really gets under your nerves right and Mm. you have to evaluate how to maintain that relationship in such a way that you're not alienating the person that you both love right in some form or fashion and so that can look many different ways like it could be you know you know with this you know the case of the super obnoxious best friend it could just be like i don't want to hang out with the two of you right (laughs) um So when you go and get beers, I'm not going to join you. That's all. But like, go and get beers. Sure. (laughs) All the way up to, okay, yeah, sure. Your mother annoys me, but I can still be cordial with her and kind with her when we interact at family gatherings or stuff like that. And and it's kind of the same with metamors that there's a wide variety of tactics that are actually already pretty well socialized into us for being able to maintain a relationship, even when the person connected to our partner, we don't really like so much. So well said. That's so Absolutely. true. I love that. <laughs> well, guys, it's been uh, a pleasure to talk it's to you. It's been so lovely you. to meet you guys. Really, um, it's been fantastic. Can you quickly uh, w- w- plug plug yourself. You, this is your chance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Quick now. No. Yes. Uh, where can people sure. find you? Where can people find you? And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So you can find us multi Amory podcast on our website. Uh, you can find us on any podcast player out there in the world. We also have our book, Multi-Amory Essential Tools for Modern Relationships, that came out this May. So that's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can also go to multiamory.com slash book and find out more about that. And then we're at multiamory underscore podcast on threads and Instagram. And then multiamory everywhere else. So come and find us. Brilliant. Check it out, guys. It's been br- uh, the book. I can't recommend it enough. Get it. Read Thank it. You. Take notes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and you can find us um on the internet as well please subscribe rate and review we love five star reviews they're our favorites so if you could just include those that'd be great for both us and multi-amory yes for for everyone on this for everyone in this scenario um 
<laughs> yeah, you can also find us. Uh, uh, you can find us on social media. Obviously, uh, we are at Polly underscore podcast on both Instagram and Twitter and Threads. Because we're high tech and you know with all the all the kids, right. you know. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, I'm still calling it Twitter. <laughs> um, we also have a website. We are the dash poly dash podcast dot captivate dot fm, and you can email us at podcastapolly at gmail dot com. Thank you, everybody Thank you so from Multiamory. Dedica, Emily, and Jace, it's been an absolute pleasure. We really appreciate you joining us today. Um, until next yeah. time. See you soon. See you soon. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.